Hallo iedereen en welkom terug bij Deep Point. Yes, you're listening to Emerging Cricket's extra podcast where we go into detail on a story that we didn't have time to cover on the main show. I'm your host Nick Skinner and today we're chatting to Rod Lyle about the Netherlands. Goedemiddag, Rod. Goedemiddag, Nick. Uh, now, Rod, you're a man of many talents, but the reason we've got you on is because you're Emerging Cricket's Dutch correspondent. Perhaps you could briefly outline your uh, credentials, as it were, in Dutch cricket. Yeah, well, I first got involved in Dutch cricket shortly after I moved to Amsterdam to teach in one of the universities in 1994. From 1995 until the mid-2000s, I scored for one of the clubs, for VRA Amsterdam. I also had a brief spell on the board of that club. Then, in 2005, I took over the role of Netherlands editor for a new website called Cricket Europe, which is still running and which initially at least uh, gave a lot of attention to Dutch cricket. In 2012, I was elected vice chairman of the KNCB. So I went onto the KNCB board and had to step back from most of my Cricket Europe activities because it was seen as being in conflict with being an administrator on the board. The revolving door, yes. Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of understandable. <laughs> I resigned as vice chairman in mid-2015 over a policy and procedure disagreement. And then at the end of 2015, I was re-elected onto the board, no longer as vice chairman, but as a member of the board under the chairmanship of Betty Timmer, who was the uh, the new chair elected for the first time in a contested election in the 130-year history of, of the KNCB, which is the governing body of cricket in the Netherlands. In 2015, I also started uh, running the youth program, a new youth program at a club in Amsterdam called Kivive, and I did that until 2019. Um, since 2019, I've been living in Sydney and haven't been back to the Netherlands because of COVID. But I'm, as you know, I'm still covering Dutch cricket from Sydney. Yes, among other projects, you've got the uh, the top class cricket with our friend Bertus de Jong. Um, but you know what we're looking at today is the upcoming general meeting of the Dutch board, the KNCB. And there's a number of important decisions that are being made. Um, so, so maybe just sort of walk us through the meeting, uh, what's on the agenda, who are the stakeholders... Okay, so the KNCB general meeting takes place twice a year, in the spring and then again in December. The spring meeting is the one where the annual accounts are approved, hopefully, um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, everything is put into place for the, the season, which normally starts uh, at the beginning of May. So it's a meeting of the members of the KNCB, and the KNCB's members are the clubs. So it's not an organization where every individual is directly a member. Individuals are members of the KNCB through their membership clubs, but it's the clubs who attend the general meetings and who vote on any policy proposal uh, and also on the election of the board, for example. And there is, in fact, a board election for uh, one position, well, for two positions, one of which is the chairmanship coming up at this coming general meeting, which is on the 14th of April. Yes, it's a... It's a pretty interesting structure, really. It's it's sort of a bit like the ICC in a way, in that the stakeholders, if you will, are the clubs, and the clubs have their own agendas, which are not necessarily the same as the national team's agenda. So you, you mentioned that uh, Betty Timmer's tenure as chair of the KNCB is coming to an end. Perhaps we can sort of do a bit of a review of her time in charge. You know, she, she got elected in 2015. What's been going on since then in, in Dutch cricket? Well, it, I think it makes sense to split the international and the domestic and local organisational side of things. On the international side, one of the most important achievements, I think, of Betty Timmer's five and a half years as chair is the appointment of Ryan Campbell 
as national coach because he's been very successful, in particular getting the Netherlands into the Super League, the 13-team Super League with the 12 full members, uh, and also winning the World T20 qualifier in 2019. So in those terms, Ryan has been a very successful national coach. By contrast, the women's national team has been less successful. Uh, it's a very young team. Uh, women's cricket is very small in the Netherlands, has become much smaller over the years. Um, I mean, one of the fundamental background questions about Dutch cricket is that it has been declining for 35 years. And in the men's game, the decline in the number of players with a Dutch background has been compensated for to a degree by the arrival of players from the Indian subcontinent and their children, their sons specifically. So men's cricket has declined by about a third. Women's cricket has declined by two thirds uh, over the same 35 year period. So the pool of women's players is actually quite small. Uh, and it's therefore, I think, very significant that the KNCB has now appointed Shane Dietz, who was a pro at a couple of Dutch clubs back in the to early 2000s as and has been coach and CEO at Vanuatu as now the national women's coach. So that's a significant development which Betty Timmer has been responsible for in the sense that it's happened on her watch. And then you have the sort of youth programs where the Lions and Lionesses, the youth boys and girls teams, have continued, but where there is still a problem, which I know both the board and Ryan Campbell are very, very aware of, about how you equip Dutch-produced players for the international stage. And it's true that the successes of the national men's side, well, over the past 10 or 15 years, have been due in large measure to players who learned their cricket somewhere else, in Australia or in New Zealand uh, or in South Africa. So the question of how you create a national side, which is predominantly players who have learnt their cricket in the Netherlands. I mean, there are some obvious notable exceptions, like Peter Stelar, who's the captain and who is on the pod uh, last week. But that's a problem. And Ryan Campbell sets great store by players like Vikram Singh, young players like Vikram Singh and Buster Leder. But there aren't enough of them. And when his side consists largely of such players, it struggles, to be honest. It struggles against associate sides of equivalent strength as we saw in a series against the UAE a couple of years ago, three years ago. So that's that's one of the big questions to which I don't think there's really been a resolution. Uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah, so obviously that's um, more of a Ryan Campbell's responsibility, I guess, as, as in terms of the on-field stuff. You, know, you mentioned Betty gets the credit for appointing Cambo because you know it happened on her watch. How much of this stuff is her decision and how much of it is sort of um, stuff that just kind of happens... Uh, regardless of who's in charge? Oh, those are board appointments. So, um, yeah, she and her board get full credit for appointing Ryan and for appointing Shane now to develop the women's game. And it's a big move for Dutch cricket to have a full-time, dedicated, appointed from outside national women's coach. That's a big step. And, of course, it's important because one of the things that happened in December was that the board announced their intention of gaining full membership of the ICC by 2025, 2026. And you can't do that if you don't have a strong, viable, successful women's team, as well as a viable and successful men's team. I mean, there are, a load of, there are a load of other criteria as well. And it's a debatable question how realistic that 2025-26 target is. And I also have reservations about their determination not to uh, look at multi-day cricket, but that's a separate story as well. But 
you know, you have to develop the whole game if you have serious aspirations to be a full member of the of, of the ICC, even if that no longer involves an ambition to play test cricket. So that's, um, you know, that question is very much an administrative one. Looking at the board over the last few years under Timmer's leadership, what would you say were the strengths and weaknesses of, of her tenure administratively and, you know, structurally on the home front? Well, one of the most significant developments was the appointment of Yarp Bols as CEO a couple of years into the new board's existence. He has been responsible for a new system of strategic planning and consultation with an annual process whereby targets are updated, strategic plans and ambitions are updated. There's an annual plan based on a rolling three-year plan. And that also involves established procedures of consultation of the clubs at a couple of points during the year. And that's all much more systematic than it was under the previous board of which I was also a member. So that's a considerable achievement. On the downside of that, the board decided last year not to renew Yarp Bolsa's contract. And I don't know what the reasons for that were. I thought at the time, and I still think that it was a a questionable decision, but the result of it is that there is now a new CEO, Milena van Nott, who is very experienced both in the world of Dutch hockey Uh, and also in the business and commercial world. And as I understand it, her role will be very much focused on growing the domestic game one way or another. And linked to that then is a process of greater professionalisation of the KNCB office, which again, I think has worked up to a point. There have clearly been setbacks. One of the setbacks was a controversial decision not to renew the contract of the media and marketing manager, not to have a media and marketing manager at the point at which you are announcing the ambition to become a full member. doesn't seem like a (laughs) terribly wise move. And of course, one of the fundamental problems is that there is still no, no sponsor. There are no sponsors effectively, certainly no major sponsors of the KNCB. So its resources are very, very dependent on the ICC. That's a long running problem, which has not been solved. In the December general meeting, we heard from Hans Mulder, the vice chairman, about how difficult it is to find sponsors. And I'm sure that I'm sure that's true. Uh, At the same time, I'm not sure that the right strategies have always been adopted to try to, if you can't find a major sponsor who will pay for everything, at least find a sponsor to sponsor the youth program or the A team or the national team in its major event. Surely you, you would think you could find a, a sponsor for the for the Super League side. So I think that again there are there are unresolved problems there. Yes, I know Amber de Gaut, who who her contract wasn't renewed as as you mentioned, she was quite popular. Um, so it was it was a decision that um, a lot of people were, were upset about. But in terms of the money issues that you've touched on, obviously, yes, it's difficult to get a sponsor, but um, you know, most of the KNCB's revenue comes from the ICC. Betty herself, she's stepping down from the chair position, but she's staying involved and she's involved with managing some of the finances as well. Can you speak to us a bit about what's happening with her, her new position or you know, what, what, what the plan is at the general meeting for her to, to do next? Well, it's not absolutely clear. Let me say that. <laughs> um, we need to do a bit of history here, I think. By the end of her first year as chair, Betty Timmer was making it clear that she was having to do so much work as chair that she could not continue without payment. So 
there was a fairly major discussion about whether what is an honorary position could also be paid. And I'm trying to use the most neutral language I can here. Um, <laughs> but the solution was to hire her to do project work. And although this was always a point of discussion and the clubs, some clubs at least, were clearly not happy about this and it came up at general meeting after general meeting, the board took the view that appointing anybody for paid work was its responsibility, not the general meeting's responsibility, which is probably correct. But out of this evolved a proposal to create a limited liability company, which would be wholly owned by the KNCB. The Dutch term for it is a bevee. So a wholly owned subsidiary, effectively, of the KNCB, which would be responsible for running events. And this is obviously geared to the home competition or the home series in the Super League, where the Netherlands is due to host Ireland this year and then Pakistan, West Indies, England over the next 18 months or so. So not this summer, probably, but next summer. Now, clearly, those are matches which are potentially lucrative in terms of television rights, and they need to be managed well. There is no stadium in the Netherlands. Home matches in the past against, well, when we ran a World Cup match in 1999, and when Sri Lanka played, when the Video Con Cup was played in the Netherlands, three-team tournament involving India, Pakistan, and Australia in 2004. Effectively, the VRA ground in, in Amstelveen is turned into a stadium with temporary seating. So it's a big deal. And then you have the television rights. So you have the cost of building a stadium, but you also have the possibility of income through, maybe through other things, but principally through television rights. You also, because it's the Super League, you have to provide DRS facilities. So mm. there are costs on the television side as well as, as well as potential income. So that is significant. And the KNCB's judgment is that in order to do that, and in order to isolate the financial risk, you need to separate it from the, the main operation of the KNCB and it create a limited liability company, which they have done, the Beve. And Betty Timmer was then appointed as events manager for the Beve. Mm. So you then have a situation where the chair, the honorary chair of the KNCB, who is the boss of the CEO, is also employed by the CEO <laughs> in his or her capacity as director of the BV, which is, to put it mildly, awkward. Benitima conceded in December that this was awkward and that it couldn't continue in its present form. And the solution, it now emerges is that she steps down from the chair and will be succeeded if the general meeting agrees by a guy from FAOC called Jürgen Delfos. Then, of course, the question is, what about the BV? And the board last year established a governance committee to look at this whole area, to look at this problem. And the recommendation of the governance committee accepted by the board as a recommendation, as a proposal to the general meeting, is that there be two CEOs, that there be a CEO of the KNCB responsible for the normal operation of the governing body, and there be a second CEO responsible for the BV. My understanding is that 
that construction is not, and I'm still choosing my words carefully, my understanding is that the that, that construction is not universally popular. So I think it's quite likely that there will be another lively discussion at the ALV, the general meeting on the 14th of April, about the structural question, quite independently of the question of if there is to be a second CEO, specifically of the Beauvais, who that person should be. And of course, there's another question which is linked to that, which is, should there be a formal selection process and an application and appointment process? Or do you just give somebody the nod? And I think that is likely to be a contentious point as well. So just to sort of sum up the situation, we've got Betty Timmer uh, stepping down as chair of the KNCB, and her plan is that she will be moving into this new organisation that the KNCB has sort of spun off to manage the rights, primarily TV rights, to their Super League and other home series. And Betty Timmer will then go on to leading that. Um, I have, let me make clear, I have not seen that proposal on paper. All right, so that's that's sort of my interpretation of what might be happening, I guess. Yes, and and I think that is clearly a possibility. Right. Um, it is a rational way of explaining the fact. Right. So with the BV, this separate company to manage their home seasons, there's a, there's a separate issue then, of course, that you you alluded to, which is that Timmer potentially is trying to put herself forward to be in charge of that, and possibly the clubs are not going to go along with it. So that'll all come out in the general meeting. Leaving aside who happens to be in charge of the BV, this separate events management organisation, uh, how does the KNCB plan to you know, make sure everything's above board? Because it all, at the moment, seems a bit too close. Well, yes. I mean, again, that's an interesting point. There was an initial proposal when the BV was first proposed to have a, a supervisory council. It's called the Rad von Kommissarissen in Dutch, to review and to audit, if you like, in a non-technical sense, to audit the work of the Beve. And that was beefed up at the demand of the clubs. That was beefed up to ensure that it had strong representation from the general meeting. So the general meeting appoints, formally appoints, members of this supervisory council uh, and the supervisory council has access to the internal workings of the Beve and presumably although it's early days because the Beve has only really been in operation for 12 months during COVID during which there have been no games. Well yeah that's another interesting point isn't it? Well it is isn't it? Um, <laughs> that the supervisory council is there to ensure that everything is done appropriately uh, and that the interests of the KNCB are properly protected. Another factor in all of this is where does the Beve's capital come from? And the answer is, at the moment, certainly, from the general meeting, because part of the constitution of the KNCB is that large sums of money cannot be spent by the board or transferred by the board without the general meeting's approval. So twice now, the board, the KNCB board, has come to the general meeting and asked for a transfer of funds from the KNCB to the BV, and that's been agreed. This is money which has come to the KNCB from the ICC in order to host events. But they're not hosting events. So where's, where's the money going? Well, the money is sitting there. Some of it has been spent on, one assumes, I haven't seen the accounts, one assumes it has been spent 
to some extent on salaries. It's also been it's also been spent on insurance because they were able last year to insure against cancellation. And that I understand that is no longer possible, but it was possible last year. And so some money was spent on insurance in order to, order to protect the Pakistan series, for which they had already sold tickets and then had to had to return the money when the uh, when the t- series was cancelled. So there's been a, a small amount of expenditure, but the rest, because it comes in obviously on an annual basis or in three monthly tranches from the ICC, that money is put aside which I think is fine, in order to prepare for the costs which will accrue to some extent this year with Ireland and certainly next year with major series against England uh, and the West Indies uh, and Pakistan. I mean, those are three three big series. So, I mean, that's the way in which that is managed and controlled. One of the recommendations of the governance committee is that the that the Rad van Commissaris, uh, the, the supervisory council, be abolished and replaced by the KNCB board, hmm. which is perhaps a degree of self-management, which once again is quite likely to be contentious given the history of all of this. Uh, it'll be inter- interesting to see the line that the clubs take on the abolition of the supervisory council. I think it, personally, I think it would be a huge mistake. I think the supervisory council is is necessary to ensure that everything not only is above board, but is seen to be above board. So we've got uh, the shuffles at the top in terms of the, the chair position. Uh, we've got the BFA being sort of spun off and um, the, the governance review possibly abolishing the oversight thereof. So what other topics, or if any, are being covered at the general meeting? Or, you know, is that enough on the plate for the clubs at the moment? <laughs> you might think so. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, there's the whole problem of how you deal with COVID. As you may remember, I published an article on, on emerging cricket calling for the spirit of 1940, drawing attention to the way in which Dutch cricket really pretty magnificently dealt with the German invasion in 1940 and the occupation until 1945 and kept cricket going. Well, they're they're playing the top class this year, so that's something. That's right. That's, That's important. And there are special rules. There's still a lockdown in the Netherlands. As you know, Europe is entering what is probably a third, in some places maybe even a fourth spike. So the plan, however, under Dutch special regulations is that the top men's competition and the top women's competition will run with special uh, provisions for weekly testing, um, sanitizer and so on and so on. The rest of cricket is going to have to wait. So all the recreational cricket, including the second and third divisions, and that creates problems. Do you have promotion? Do you have relegation? There's been a fight about relegation and the in the end the board has decided not to have any relegation but to allow two teams to come up from the Hofklasse of the second division that is if that can be played at least a one round competition with nine games can be played if that happens then two will come up and there will be 12 in the top class of next season and then measures will be adopted to go back down to 10 in 2023 if we're all still alive then. <laughs> um, so that has not been a totally straightforward process of getting all that set up. And it may be that clubs will want to talk about some of that in the general meeting. Um, there is a place for that because the regulations, the rules and regulate playing conditions for the competitions are always discussed at the spring general meeting. And the other thing, which is early on the agenda, is a continuing struggle about 
whether players should be allowed to play in white or not. No. Um, the, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, but it's likely to be the most contentious and and the heated debate of the of the meeting. I think. Um, not, not not all these big financial decisions. The uh, no. the color of the clothes. Okay. And, and one must, one shouldn't mock it, but there are recreational players who are firmly of the view that only cricket played in whites is proper cricket <laughs> with a red ball. I mean, I like whites and red ball. That's... Yes. The board position is that all cricket in the Netherlands, all competitive cricket in the Netherlands should be played in coloured clothing with a white ball from the top class all the way down. That was a decision which was taken a couple of years ago. It was inter- implemented in a staged way, but there are recreational players, quite a lot of recreational players, who play in a Saturday afternoon competition called the Zami and a Sunday afternoon recreational competition called the Zomi, Zondagmiddag, Middag, for whom this is a hill they are prepared to die on. Um, I'm not sure it's a hill anybody else is prepared to die on. <laughs> but they see this as being inherent in the nature of cricket and a vile removal of their democratic rights for the red ball and color, the white ball and coloured clothing to be imposed. <laughs> it's easy to make fun of it. Um, I'm enough of a traditionalist <laughs> to see where they're coming from. My solution would be to say, okay, we'll split the two competitions and we'll have a white ball pool and a red ball pool and clubs can decide which they're going to play it. But I think for both, I, fe- I fear that for both sides, it's such a matter of principle. <laughs> uh, is, is the question whether the, you know, the white ball conditions that the Dutch national team play with most of the time in terms of, you know, T20 internationals and, and one day internationals, um, you know, they, they want they want the top players to be ready for that. Is that kind of the logic or is it? That's where it starts, yeah. You have to play. I mean, the top competition has been played in coloured clothing. Most of the competition has been played in coloured clothing uh, for some time, but still with the red ball. And obviously, if you go to white ball cricket for your top teams, there are things then about sight screen. You have to have a black sight screen. What do you do when a red ball competition comes along? You have to change the site, all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's how we got to where we are. But it illustrates a larger point, which is something that's been coming around this conversation, I think, repeatedly, which is about the role of the clubs, the importance of the clubs. And one of the arguments that the recreational cricketers use is this is exactly the time when cricket has been declining for 35 years that you should not be driving people away by making them do something they don't want to do. Mm. So how do you maximise participation? How do you encourage the clubs to work hard to find new players while at the same time implementing central policies? And that tension between the clubs and the central organisation of the KNCB has been a recurrent problem in all kinds of ways on almost every issue for at least the 20 years that I have been closely involved. It's an inescapable problem. It comes down to things like, what do you do when the national team is playing and there's a club competition? Can the clubs refuse to allow their, to release their players for the national team? Clubs have actually tried to do that. So, Well, they, they often pay their players, so they would want to get value out of them, right? Yes. Some, some players have 
formal contracts. Some of the national team players in the past certainly have had contracts both with the KNCB and with their club as a coach. Uh, not, you understand, to win matches for them, but it comes down to that. And when I was on the board, there were a couple of really tough calls that had to be made with clubs saying, no, we're not going to release that player on Sunday because we've got a league match. And the board having to decide to stand up to the club and say that player has a contract with us and he will play. Mm. So people talk about people in the clubs talk about the KNCB, meaning the central organization and detaching themselves from it, saying, oh, the KNCB does that. The KNCB ought to do that. And my cry for as long as I've been involved is we are the KNCB. Not only is it our organization, we are the organization. But clubs have a tendency to consider their own interests, understandably. COVID creates all kinds of tensions because you, the bars are closed, so you cannot, you cannot run a bar. So the club's finances are in trouble. So the clubs, the clubs are, for better and for worse, I would say probably in normal circumstances, too preoccupied with their own interests and not sufficiently preoccupied with the interests of Dutch cricket as a whole, which is an endangered sport. And that's something that none of us can afford to forget. Um, so, as I said earlier, you know, that whole dynamic reminds me a bit of uh, the, the way that the uh, full member boards at the ICC look after their own interests rather than more than the interests of cricket as a whole. Uh, some more than others. Yes. Some, some more than others, of course. Um, and looking at the ICC, there was some interesting news that came out uh, very recently. Uh, but Betty Timmer uh, made a run to be on the Chief Executives Committee at the ICC, and she was defeated by Uganda's Bashir Anasira. Sort of briefly outline, what is the CEC, the Chief Executives Committee, and, and what does that mean for, you know, for Betty and for the KNCB? Does her being on that have any influence back home, or you know, what, what does it actually do? Well, as I understand it, the Chief Executives Committee is an advisory committee to the board of the ICC. And in principle, it is a committee of chief executives of national organizations. So the board of the ICC consists of representatives of the boards of the national bodies. Uh, the CEC consists of chief executives who are the people who actually are the working professionals who spend their entire lives dealing with the problems of cricket at grassroots level, if you like, or at national grassroots level. Betty Timmer was elected to the Chief Executives Committee, what, four years ago, maybe more, despite the fact that she wasn't a chief executive, mm. which I have to say surprised me at the time. But she ran and she was elected. She was quite successful, I think, during her tenure, maybe too successful, because the view of many of the other associates and this is something which Forbes magazine ran this week. Tristan Lavalette has a piece about it. Yes, friend of the podcast, Tristan. Yeah, she was seen as having been too preoccupied with the interests of the Netherlands <laughs> and getting more money for the Netherlands, which, of course, made her popular in the Netherlands and insufficiently interested in the wider interests of the associate members whom she was supposed to be representing. She wasn't there as a Dutch representative. She was there as a representative of all the associate members. So the next time her election came up, she was defeated. And in the last couple of months, she has 
attempted to get back in there. She's still not a chief executive, but she's attempted to get back in there onto the chief executives committee uh, and was beaten by somebody from, as you say, from Uganda, who is also not a chief executive. I think he's the president. Yeah, he's president as well. I don't understand this. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I don't I don't understand why the ICC allows this. It's a committee for chief executives. If you're a president, you have an opportunity to be elected to the board. So why are presidents who are in the, the board constituency allowed to step across into the CEC constituency? I don't get it. Tristan Lavalette suggests that one of the reasons why, again, why she was unsuccessful this time in what was a pretty tight vote was because she was seen as being too tied to the Dutch interest, which of course is something which makes her popular, certainly among her supporters in the Netherlands. It has always been part of her pitch that she is an ICC insider. Before she was chair of the KNCB, she was chair of the ICC Women's Committee and ser has served for a long time on the ICC Women's Committee. So she has a history in the ICC going back a long time, but it may be that in some context now that works against her rather than for her. But it's certainly part of the argument about who should be the CEO of the Beauvais that were she to be appointed to that position, the argument runs, as I understand it, the argument runs that she has the right networks internationally for the events manager or for the CEO role. I'm not convinced that that is necessarily the most important consideration. I think actually being able to make sure the event runs successfully in the Netherlands is at least as important. So I guess the uh, related question then is, you know, does her influence or popularity back home within the Kane CB go down if she's not on the CEC and, you know, not um, attracting money to the Netherlands? I can't judge that. I'm in Sydney. <laughs> I would have a better chance of judging it if I were in the Netherlands. Um, ducking under the bouncer there, Rod. Indeed. <laughs> my, um, my contacts are extensive. I talk to a lot of people, but yes, and I, I think you would actually have to be there to be able to assess exactly what the lie of the land is. We'll know more on the 15th of April um, after the meeting the night before, which does promise to be an extremely interesting one. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, as far as uh, administrative meetings go, uh, the meeting is, of course, on the 14th of April. Uh, Rod, thanks a lot for giving us uh, so much of your time to explain what's going on in the Netherlands and, and you know, accompanying us on this, uh, this deep dive. I appreciate very much your explanation and uh, thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, Nick. Good night, Rod. And good night. <laughs>